What if I told you that there's a cure for chronic pain? Yes, that pain you were told you would just have to manage. And what if I told you that that cure is already inside of you? Would you believe me? Welcome to the Let's Talk Mind Body Healing podcast where we talk about how to truly alleviate chronic suffering. I'm your host, Alicia Daramus, and this is episode number 25. And in this episode, we have the incredible Sarah Dakili back, who first appeared on the podcast in episode 18, and that was probably my favorite episode to date. Sarah is such a wealth of knowledge, and she's so generous in what she shares. So we recorded this episode in response to a listener's request. I had a listener message me and ask me about children and TMS. So in this episode, we focus specifically on minors who may be experiencing mind-body symptoms and what you can go do about that as a guardian or a carer or somebody who is involved with young people. If you're not involved with young people, though, there are lots of um, little gems in there that will really be useful to you anyway on your own healing journey as an adult in reflecting upon your own childhood and how that may have affected your symptoms now and what you're experiencing now. But just before we go on to the episode, I have some really exciting and nervous news to share. So I am in the process. I'm almost finished. I've almost finalized setting up my own small coaching business. So very soon I will be taking on a very small number of clients uh, coaching in chronic pain, of course, as well as in breath work and the Botaco method and in some breathing re-education. And if you know my story, you know that breath work was so transformational for me along the journey and doing that breathing re-education, which is why I've kind of partnered that in there, as well as meditation teaching. Unfortunately, however, to begin with, I'll only be opening up to Australian residents for insurance reasons. In addition to that, I'm going to be starting a local pain group run in my local community. And the plan at this stage, hopefully, is to meet monthly and teach them mind-body skills at a reduced rate for people and hopefully lead a group of people to recovery or as close to recovery as they can be. But, you know, we'll see whether I can get anyone on board and on board the mind-body kind of train sort of outside of this immediate listening community because it is a pretty alternate perspective. But really hoping to get out there and start helping people, which is what I've wanted to do for so long, but also feeling really nervous and trying not to overload myself uh, with, you know, juggling uh, a one-year-old as well as doing my psychology placement this year and my university studies and just all the things and trying to keep looking after myself and my nervous system and find time in amongst all of those things. So I'm going to see how I go. I'm feeling very excited but very, very nervous. But keep an eye out on my social media when it comes out, when I'm ready to go. I will announce there, hopefully by next month. Oh, and the name of the business, the Body Mind Healing Space. So I went with Body Mind instead of Mind Body. 
Because Body Mind kind of has a longer history behind it. Uh, it's been used for a long time to really challenge the idea that the body and the mind are experienced separately. And it's a term that has been written about, which kind of describes the relationship between the human body and the mind as a single integrated unit, which when you've been in this space long enough, you have to agree that, that it operates that way, right? In that vein, I am thinking about changing the name of the podcast to maybe like Body Mind Chats or the Body Mind Chats or something, but we'll see if that happens. Um, anyway, otherwise, I am well. Life is great. My birthday is around the corner, which is exciting, I guess. It's a big one for me this year. Um, anyways, that's about it. I'll leave you to go into the episode now. Happy listening. hold my doctorate in education but I'm not a medical doctor all the content I provide in any medium including but not limited to this podcast is for informational purposes only no content provided by me is intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice the purpose is to promote broad understanding and knowledge of various health topics if you choose to use any information provided by me you do so solely at your own risk. Always seek the guidance of your doctor or qualified health professional with any questions you may have regarding your health or a medical condition. Do not embark on a mind-body healing journey until you have clearance from your healthcare practitioner to do so and until you have discussed how to apply mind-body healing to your own individual case with your healthcare practitioner. Welcome to the Let's Talk Mind Body Healing podcast. I'm your host, Felicia Jaramus, and today I am here with Sarah Dark Healy, who is actually my first ever return guest. Uh, so, this episode sort of came about because I had, uh, I've had a couple over the years, but one recently an inquiry from a parent about their own child who is having TMS symptoms. And one of the things she said was, I really wish somebody would do an episode about this. I thought, oh, well, well, why not? You know, and that's why I, I was like, okay, I'll reach out to a few people I know in this space and see if there's anyone who might want to talk about it. And the ever so lovely Sarah has agreed to come on and share what she knows about children and TMS. So thank you so much, um, Sarah, for agreeing to come on. Thank you so much, Felicia. It's lovely to be back. It's, uh, it's lovely to have you again. Um, Sarah's original episode is number 18, if anybody wanted to go back to that. Um, and Sarah is, um, just for new listeners, the founder of a psychotherapy practice called Mental Awakening in Australia. Um, and it specializes in chronic pain and TMS. Um, and, yeah. Is there anything you wanted to say about that, Sarah, before we get started? Um, well, really, the, just that, my, you know, I have a lot of passion for what I do. And a lot of my work is um, trauma recovery related. And um, just, you know, incorporating everything from somatic um, therapy to compassionate inquiry and um, IFS, 
uh, which is stands for internal family systems therapy. Um, and yeah, just mindfulness and um, all the other different modalities that I use within this work. And it's just something I really love. And one of the things I think we spoke about last time as well was getting clear on your values and learning how to live a life by your values. And I really love that that part, that piece too. Yes, yes, I'm glad you enjoyed that. Yeah, I I've, I tried to do my best to, you know, you know, live up to that and uphold that myself and walk my talk because otherwise life becomes too unbearable if we're always focusing on symptoms. Um, mm-hmm. And I find that living in alignment with our values just um yeah it gives us a um a much better i guess path or direction to follow Mm, certainly does certainly does okay sarah to get us started um Maybe you could tell us a little bit about any advice you would give to a parent who has a child with TMS symptoms or an adolescent or child. Yep. So I just want to start by acknowledging that I'm not a parent. um, And even though I hold space daily for other people's pain and support them in reparenting themselves, Life sadly didn't bless me with children, so I can only speak from my limited experience of working with children and teenagers with TMS and mind-body related challenges, as well as, I guess, my extensive experience of working with parents who have faced challenges both with themselves, their health, as well as being in the role of a parent and, you know, raising children. Um And I would like to also acknowledge my experience with, you know, family members who have children, in particular, my sister who has three boys and their mind-body challenges. You know, I can only appreciate the challenges that parents face with raising children, the enormity of that role and the amount of stress, guilt, and I guess overwhelm that comes um, with that. And also speak I guess from you know my own childhood because I was once a child myself with mind-body issues and have been through quite an eventful um, journey in my childhood and I guess you could say that the sum of all of these different experiences have helped me gain um, experience um, in the concept of conscious parenting and and also conscious reparenting which is what I would like to also speak about today mm-hmm. yes Um, So in my experience, children and teenagers, they rarely feel symptoms for no apparent reason. As children, all of us are very sensitive and attuned to our caretakers' feelings, you know, their tone of voice, their behavior, their belief systems. And so our nervous system is wired for that because we need them to survive. We literally need our parents or caretakers to survive we can't survive unless we're looked after by adults right Mm -hmm. and I remember as a child having everything provided for me in terms of material well-being and yet experiencing severe anxiety stomach pains acid reflux um, issues from the age of five can you imagine that and then followed by things like sleep issues chronic bodily pain and an eating disorder that lasted for 12 years and nearly, nearly, you know, Mm. killed me, took my life. Oh, five is so small. Yeah. 
Can you imagine? It's yeah. just, I have so much more compassion for that little girl that, you know, that I once was, and it's still kind of inside of me. And it wasn't until I started my own healing journey, as well as the experience I gained through working within this area that I, you know, I came to connect the dots of my childhood and really understand why those things were happening to me at that time. Mm. And so um, if we could maybe start by talking about that first before. Of course, that would be lovely. Um, Because I think it's really important to understand why these symptoms come about for children. And I, I know, you know, I've I've talked about in the previous um, episode that we did together, I spoke about the nervous system. And I just want to go back to that and say that it is such a, you know, such a sensitive part of our, our humanness, you know, we're so wired for connection and it's how we survive and for children in particular they're just so susceptible to their environment they're so sensitive they don't have this concept of self and so to you know to be raised in an environment where there's stresses of all sorts which there is you know everyone's got stress in life and for some people it's much more than others Mm. Um, for that little child, it's it's very difficult to know how to handle that, right? Because they, they don't really have a concept of self. They don't really have that conscious awareness yet. They haven't developed that. And so they're pretty much, you know, like a sponge. They just pretty much, um, how to explain this, they, they can get impacted by literally everything that they hear, they see, they witness. And they can also, you know, they're very sensitive to energy. And so when, you know, a child is raised in an environment where there isn't um, emotional availability or when the parent is really stressed or, um, gosh, uh, it could be a whole bunch of different reasons such as, you know, um, neglect and a lot of emphasis that's placed on um school and grades and uh, Mm. you know how you look um, and judging them solely on what culture perceives to be as you know deems as successful or parents who um, are you know helicopter or lawnmower parents or anxious parents or very enmeshed with their children all of these things really impacts the child and the child's nervous system um, as well as parents who are perhaps, um, you know, unconsciously completely dismissive or disconnected or emotionally unavailable, right? Mm. Um, or who get really angry if the child makes a mistake or fails at something or compares their child to another child. And there's this constant pressure, you know, to for the child to be anything other than who they really are. All of these things puts so much pressure on that child and their nervous system, which in turn contributes to the development of the, you know, symptoms, mind-body symptoms, TMS symptoms, and so on. And I was going to say, I watch my son at the moment and he is uh, nine months old and just like, he's so small, but his eyes are just so, he's just taking everything in. 
and as you were saying I think he 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 doesn't really know how to interpret a situation so he's always looking to me and to his dad to like you know is this okay you know and he watches our reactions to things to see like yeah whether he's like you know he's always watching and he's always looking to how you're responding to situations to know whether he's safe or not yes interesting spot on that constant search for safety you know is my mom safe is my dad safe is my environment safe is 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 it safe for me to say this is it safe for me to be this way right and it's just like a little smile a little reassurance goes a long way yeah absolutely and look uh, parents they do their best they're human everyone's Mm -hmm. always doing their best but because we're now focusing on children and wanting to understand their mind-body related issues, I think it's important to, to talk about the reasons to why those things actually develop. Nice. And it's not to blame the parent by any means. It's really about um, understanding and empowerment so that from that we can create change, right? We can start to make changes because there's no perfect parenting. There is no perfect scenario um life is you know full of suffering and full of challenges for most people if not for everyone so we're not looking to necessarily um achieve you know a perfect scenario where nothing does happen to your child or nothing does happen um you know to your family because life is going to challenge us whether we like it or not it's more about understanding because from that understanding we can tap into a place of empathy and compassion mm. and that's what's necessary for healing to take place yeah totally agree so i guess advice to parents who have children with tms um i always say you know Practically speaking, there are a few things you can do to help the child build that mind-body connection. And it could be anything from, first of all, allowing them to express themselves, which I think is really important. Um, When I'm working with children or in the past work with children and adolescents, I always focus on getting to know who they are what they like, what they dislike, what their interests or preferences and opinions are, you know, through different creative avenues. So I fo- I try my best to focus on them as a whole, not on the issue that the parent has sent them to me for. Mm. And often children feel very uncomfortable talking about their feelings, especially to a stranger, even to, to adults, even to their parents, because they don't really know what they're feeling, Right. And they're biologically wired to protect their connection with their parent from being, you know, jeopardized. So I always aim to combine um, any kind of conversation with an external activity, which often helps to open up, you know, uh, open them up um, to their feelings. So things like... um, uh, games, you know, little games that I might use as a way to um, open up those conversations. For example, um, a toddler might be able to express their 
feelings using a finger puppet or a stuffed animal, whereas, you know, preschool age children like to express their feelings through creative imagery, drawings, and, you know, feeling charts. A teenager prefers conversation cards, for example, or things that engage their mind and interests. And so um, I always say it's important to focus on who the child is, right? Focus on who the child, um, I guess, how the child acts or how they behave or what they like, what they don't like. And then the, the next thing is to also bring in um, mindful breathing. Mindful breathing is a really simple but powerful technique that can help children to become aware of what's happening within their body, their physical sensations and how to regulate their emotions. So even just doing it with your children, taking deep breaths, um, you know, and just telling them to breathe in through their nose, out through their mouth, focusing on the sensation of the breath, moving in and out of their body. And a simple but kind of fun exercise you can do is to place maybe a stuffed animal or other toys um, on your child's belly, and, you know, while they're lying on their back. And just encourage them to track the rise and the fall of the stuffed animal. And you can do this with teenagers too. As they, um, you know, draw their breath to their bellies and just really awakening that awareness of their bodies and what's happening for them in general. So I think mindful breathing, anything that helps them get into their bodies, whether it's yoga or stretching can help children become more aware of their bodies and build that mind-body connection. There's a lot of kid-friendly yoga, um, even videos on YouTube and little stretching routines that can be done at home. Again, a lot of these things depends on the age of the child, but um, just in general, these are some good tools that you can use as a parent to support your child through mind-body issues not necessarily putting your focus on the actual problem, but rather um, focusing on the things that can help them, you know, feel more connected with what's going on for them. You know, body scans are good as well. Um, similar to breathing, paying attention to any physical sensation that's present. Um, you can have them imagine a butterfly gently landing on each part of their bodies as you kind of guide them from the top of the head to their toes. And this can help kids become more aware of their bodies and recognize the relationship between physical sensations and emotions. Mindful walking is good as well. Um, as you're taking them out on a walk, focusing on the sensation of their feet and the ground and the movement of their body as they walk, you know, as um, for more fun, something fun, you can just have them walk from one point to another with maybe you can say 50% stillness or, you know, maybe slower than what you usually do and just encourage them to focus and bring attention to the movement. Um, even things like mindful games. Um, there are a lot of games that can help kids build that mind-body connection. There's one that I like, which is called red light, green light, where the, you know, the child stops and takes deep breaths on red light and then resumes activity on green light. 
or um, another one called body bingo, where um, the child is, you know, ticking off um, different physical sensations they're feeling. You know, so up, I'm feeling fluttery um, in my stomach, or I'm feeling tight in my chest. And then also mindful eating, how to eat slower, how to notice the, the you know, the color, the sound of the food, the feel of the food, the flavor of the food. So all of these things really helps the child to bring um, or develop greater ability to remain present with what's happening. And this really supports their nervous system. And I think as a parent, you can really help your child as they're going through um, different mind-body challenges in these little everyday stuff. And of course, making sure that you also connect with someone, um, a professional, a therapist that can help you, especially when it comes to some of those more challenging, severe cases, which I think is really important to have professional support with. I love all of that advice. Um, like you, Sarah, I had mind-body issues pretty much my whole life but mine really got quite severe when I was about 12 that's kind of when it really kicked off I think just that piece of helping the child to be embodied to go into their body to feel safe in their body when I reflect it's like that's something I actually really really needed at that age Mm. yeah same same I I had no concept of my body you know, I was very dissociated. Uh, looking back, I can now see how dissociated I was as a child and as a teenager to the point where, you know, as experiencing eating disorder and developing an eating disorder, which often stems from not feeling in control, you know, mm-hmm. and also deep-seated feelings of shame. Um, I really would have benefited so much from this kind of information if only my parents knew or had the resources, the tools, the awareness, the support to to just bring help me bring that awareness to my body so that I wasn't necessarily abusing my body or just kind of feeling so disconnected from it. Yeah, I felt my body was not like a safe place for me. It was somewhere I didn't want to be. It was, I don't know how to explain it, but it was not. I was so, I seemed so disconnected. Mm-hmm. Yeah which is very common. That's why when I work with adults, um, often, you know, one of the things I I hear quite often is um, I don't remember my childhood. I have very few memories, very few memories. Yeah. And that's because of that dissociation or my childhood was great, which is another way of just basically remembering some of the things that felt safe and then forgetting and, you know, suppressing the rest. Yeah. I think it's very, very, um, uncommon to have a great childhood (laughs) yes (laughs) very much so (laughs) yeah I agree I think it's um it's really a good thing to to use creativity when it comes to supporting children with mind-body conditions Mm. and um, not focus so much on the symptom or your own anxiety about what your child is going through. Because that's another thing as a parent, it's so important that you make sure that you get help for yourself because one way or another, how you feel and 
how you are um, has contributed towards what's happening for your child, right? And I think as triggering as that may sound for a lot of parents to hear, it's so important to take responsibility for that, that in some unconscious way, as well as I'm, I'm a very well-meaning parent who just would do anything for my child, I have somehow contributed to what's happening. And I think there's a feeling of empowerment that comes with that when we actually take full responsibility and go, I don't know how, but somehow I've contributed to this mm -hmm. or somehow we as parents have contributed to this. And just really um, by doing that, I think you can really um, start to, I guess, take steps in the right direction and look at what's happening for you and how your own anxiety, your own behavior is enabling what's going on for your child or feeding what's going on for your child or what's happening at home and so on if that makes sense yeah I think I've heard Gabor Mate talk about this he says with a lot of conditions people are so reluctant to say it's environmental but environmental mm. is empowering because you can change that there's something you can do about that rather than just saying oh it's genetic like there's so you know it's something we can yes. do about that so I guess yes. that's an yep. important point for for parents and dealing with their own symptoms and perhaps any guilt that may come up. Um, is there any advice you would have around that area for parents themselves? You know, guilt um, is such a big thing. I, I work with this every day. I see this, you know, it's um, I've obviously dealt with it myself and also support other people through it. I think guilt as a parent is um, that, or even if you're not a parent, but it's that nagging feeling that you have somehow fallen short, that you are not doing enough, that, you know, as a parent, your your kids deserve better. So pervasive. And Sorry? It's so pervasive, I think, as a parent. <laughs> yes, yes, I can appreciate that. And if you're experiencing this, um, I just want everyone to know that you're not alone <laughs> in this beautiful journey of parenthood. It's not uncommon to be overwhelmed by feelings of guilt and shame. Many of my adult clients are parents and often experience the guilt of seeing their children, you know, be challenged or suffer in one way or another. And what I always tell them is that the term guilt doesn't really do justice to what parents usually are feeling. It's more about a sense of inadequacy, a feeling that you're not living up to perceived standards that are set by others, whether that's your family, your friends, yourself, society, culture. And this is why it's crucial to attend therapy and receive support with your own healing so that you can redefine this feeling of chronic guilt because you know again it's not just parents who struggle with this I used to struggle a lot with chronic feelings of guilt myself especially when it came to my family and their expectations of me or so I thought you know and it wasn't until I got sick with an autoimmune disorder and was down to 45 kilos that I told myself enough you know I'm done punishing myself and constantly feeling like 
I need to do more. I need to give more of myself or save or support my family somehow or help, um, you know, overextend myself. And I realized that, in fact, eventually I realized this, that it wasn't their fault at all. It was my own lack of boundaries and the perception that developed in my head as a child that I am responsible for their happiness, which is, I think, what a lot of children feel with mind-body connection, uh, sorry, mind-body issues. They feel responsible for their mother's well-being, for their father's well-being, because they have, you know, witnessed and picked up on different things that mom's not okay, dad's not okay. And again, children are so smart that you can't um, hide your truth from them because they will pick it up energetically, right? Mm-hmm. This is why it's so important to know how to um, self-regulate as a parent and how to model that to your child, even by you know having authentic conversations about emotions and feelings. The, the challenge is that a lot of parents don't know how to do that because no one modeled it for them, yeah. right? And it's through this therapeutic journey that you learn how to do that better how to become better at doing that for yourself and in turn obviously for your for your child and for your partner and so on but I know for me as a child taking on that responsibility really stopped me um, from holding I guess space for my own anxiety um, as I would witness them struggle with different challenges, you know, I just didn't know how, where was the line between me, who I am as a person and who perhaps my mother is or who my father is or who my sister is. There was a lot of this enmeshment and codependency and um, lack of boundaries. So I guess, yeah, I think a lot of this feeds into the guilt because um, when when you realize that guilt is something that's put on you in many ways, I mean, of course, we can feel guilty if we've done something wrong, but often it's not because we've done something wrong. It's because there's these expectations that we carry that are unrealistic, right? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think dealing with that... Um, internally and seeking support with that as a parent is really important because you know as a conscious parent if you want to be a conscious parent which I think most people do want to be otherwise they wouldn't be listening to this you know episode you're on a journey filled with love learning and self-discovery you know we're not here to learn how to be perfect like I said before we're here to learn how to grow both within ourselves, in our relationships with children, relationships with other people. And the truth is that parenting is a, you know, from what I've witnessed and and come to hear and know about it, is a profound experience. And it's perfectly normal to have moments of self-doubt in your own beliefs. So guilt isn't just an emotion. It's a biological stress response. And when you feel guilty, your body releases stress hormones like adrenaline, you know, triggering your fight and flight, uh, cortisol. And if you're constantly feeling triggered, your stress response can lead to chronic disease, chronic health-related issues, mental health concerns, you know, anxiety, depression, elevated blood pressure, and, you know, the works. 
And so you don't want that for you. You don't want that for your child. And I think it's so important to make sure that you're gentle and kind and compassionate with yourself as you realize that this is a journey of learning, right? And because often with guilt, there's these feelings of shame, shame that your child is throwing a tantrum in front of you or others, shame that your child has symptoms and might need professional support, shame that you need professional support, shame that you know your child has a diagnosis or that they're struggling in school or to make friends. And as a parent, there might be this frustration um, and this sinking feeling of disappointment in yourself, right? Feeling like you're not doing enough or you should be doing more, you should be doing better. And that's why I think checking in and considering what's really going on for you inside is so important, even in your child's healing, you know? A lot of times we need to tap into our own emotional regulation to kind of unravel what's going on. You know, how how is my body feeling? Um, and where am I carrying shame inside my body? What does that bigger picture look like, right? Um, so I think that that's really important. I know for me and my mother and our relationship, which, you know, wasn't very good for many years, it's been through my healing that she also has started to heal and vice versa. Uh, even though, you know, it happened um, later in life, it was just really beautiful and really, um, yeah, very connected, if you know what I mean. So my healing and taking responsibility for what was happening for me contributed to her healing and vice versa. Mm because of this bond between parents and children. So lovely to, to hear that. And I think it's an important point that, like, it's never too late. It's never too far gone or... Mm. Yes. And I love this quote by Brene Brown, who is this um, international bestseller and social worker. You know, she... She said once, I define shame as the intensely painful feeling or experience of believing that we're flawed or unworthy of love and belonging. Something that, you know, we've experienced, done or felt to do makes us unworthy of connection. I don't believe shame is helpful or productive. And I completely agree with her because we tend to suppress the shame. And then we want to belong, so we end up copying others, you know, whether it's um, what other mums do, what other people say, you know, we, we, we end up disconnecting from our own intuitive messages and also just um, how to be present with our child, right? how to really listen to them. There's a lot of a lot more of that dismissive behavior when you just follow the crowd because there's shame, because you just want to belong, because you want to be like everybody else. So I think it's really good to do some work on the guilt and shame because they usually go hand in hand. And um, yeah, I think the process of healing always starts with a choice making that conscious decision to 
even stop using the word guilt because you're not guilty. You just have really high expectations of yourself and you're struggling to live up to them. Oh, I love that. (laughs) Yeah, because honestly, they're probably unreasonable. And that's the first step where you learn to tap into your own inner needs and become a more conscious parent um, and work even on your own childhood wounds, you know? And so I always say the next time you're questioning or doubting yourself, just pause, just pause for a moment, you know, instead of trying to correct the child, talk to anybody, vent to anybody, just take a deep breath take a moment to just pause and just tell yourself in your mind, this is a perception that I have in my mind right now. This feeling, this thought, it's it's a perception that's stemming from some form of wound inside of me, right? And I'm just going to give myself a moment of pause and just hold space for that for a moment. And then afterwards, you can do whatever you want to do. But just doing that, that tiny little pause can really help you become better at catching yourself. And to even change that narrative, change that story. I'm a good mom. You know, even good moms make mistakes and act in ways they later regret. I don't need to prove myself. I don't need to prove that I'm good. I am good because I just am, because I'm here, because I'm trying, right? Because I always say the best moms are the ones who have compassion for themselves. And that's how they can end up having compassion for their child. That's how they can in turn sit with a child that's struggling and suffering and teach them that it's okay what you're going through. You're safe even though you're struggling right now. This is part of life and I'm right with you and we're going to do everything we can to support you through this, right? One of the things I, um, sometimes, you know, people need practical, um, I guess, examples. And I always say to them, well, if your child is throwing a tantrum, and they don't want to do something or they don't want to eat their food or even if it's a teenager, it doesn't matter what age. First and foremost, acknowledge what they're feeling. So the first thing, and this is very hard to do, by the way, it takes a lot of, you know, becoming comfortable with your own emotions and doing some shadow work to be able to do this for your own child. But even just saying to them, yep, I would be angry too if I didn't get what I wanted. It's natural to get angry when you don't get what you want, when you want it. So how about I sit with you and then when the anger goes, we'll go and do something else, right? And you just sit with them and they might be angry, they might throw things, they might scream, yell, and you just sit with them and you just... You know, you just breathe and that that intensity is very hard to handle, right? But often if you just even communicate calmly and you say, yep, this is what anger looks like. And, you know, you can also let them know it's not okay to yell at mommy 
or it's you know not necessarily it's not okay to yell at mommy but maybe even just saying you know um it's very hard for me to sit here and see you angry but i want you to know that i'm here mm -hmm. just even that something i know it's not easy so i'm not going to say as easy as that <laughs> but yeah. something as that can just teach the child that it's safe for me to feel what I feel. Because often mind-body conditions, even in adults as well as children, stem from that suppression of emotion. Mm. So as I, say, I think that talking about that, having the skills to sit with a child while they kind of melt down or experience really big feelings kind of brings home the importance of parents being able to self-regulate being able to regulate yourself because that is really hard to do to sit with someone while they're having big feelings mm. particularly if nobody did that for you as a child yes absolutely that's why I also talk about conscious reparenting so the reparenting is of yourself becoming the parent for yourself that you never had and the conscious parenting is the obviously a more mindful approach of being a parent to your child um Conscious parenting, you know, sees children as independent beings. Yeah. And they are also beings who can teach their own parents to become more self-aware. So your child is your teacher, right? And what they're teaching you is how to let go of your ego, of your attachment, of your desire, you know, forcing behavior on the children. Um, instead of doing that, focus on your language, your expectations, on your own self-regulation. And this approach really does require um, the parent to engage in self-reflection, right? In mindfulness on a daily basis, to be able to stay with some really intense feelings and emotions. That's a skill. That's a skill and it takes practice, right? Mm -hmm. And so engaging in mindful self-reflection regularly can bring a lot of benefits, reduce stress, reduce anxiety, you know, produce, um, I guess, longer attention span and um, decrease blood pressure, improve sleep. And it's also really good to... Um, like it's a good way of getting better at um, respectful language, right? How to model that respectful language so that the child learns because the child's sense of self is only, you know, de develops based on what's being modeled to them always. So you can't wait for the child to change so you change or for the child to get better so you feel better. That's not how it works. Um, I think it's hard to hear, but it's it's the actual truth. It's the actual fact, right? Mm -hmm. So even having um, you know frequent respectful conversations that model healthy, positive um, skills, communication skills, is really good for children, mm -hmm. so they can see, oh, okay, this is how you communicate when you're struggling or this is how you communicate when you're angry or this is how you communicate when you want something yeah 
Um, does that answer the question? I feel like I've, I don't know if I'm <laughs> still answering the question. <laughs> I can't even remember what the question was, but I'm enjoying this conversation. So <laughs> <laughs> that's good. That's good. I just hope that, you know, whatever I have to share is uh, helpful to people who are listening. Um, and, and yeah, I mean, uh, usually, um, we want to focus on increasing children's self-esteem and feelings of worthiness, right? That was a huge piece of the puzzle for me. It's a hard one to do if you, as a parent, are not aware of yourself, your own wounds, your own behavior, your own patterns, your own triggers, right? Um, How do you react when the child is making a mistake? How do you react when the child is um, struggling? How do you react when the child has a tantrum, right? Um, So I think that's the first thing to be mindful of, how to become, you know, conscious of that within yourself, how to get support for that. But to increase a child's self-esteem, you have to first help them understand who their self is. You know, I, I do the same thing for adults in my sessions. And This is something, again, that I find to be necessary in both healing children and adults. So I'm referring to self-awareness, self-celebration, self-knowledge. And, you know, when children are disconnected to who they are, they won't have self-esteem. So when we teach children that they need to honor and recognize their own self as being a free spirit, then they will begin to feel confident about who they are. But instead, what we tend to do in our culture is that, and this is a generational thing, you know, which is also why trauma is a generational, um, I guess, thing, is that we teach children to be anything other than who they are. We encourage them to follow, you know, these indicators on the outside, teach them that they're they are their grade. We teach them that they are a superficial standard of beauty. We teach them that they are their social group or the amount of likes they get on social media or the social status or the titles, you know, um, the, we teach them that they are, you know, the group that they belong to. Right. Um, so when we do that, we teach them that their self-esteem is dependent on the outside and not on what's on the inside. And how do we teach them this? We teach them through example. Again, it's always it always comes down to that because children are incredibly smart they're energetically tuned into everything we say we do we believe their concept of self is developed like i said before based on how their environment is um, what they witness and how they get treated and i want to repeat that because i think it's so important um yeah to, to become mindful of that You know, I always tell my clients self-esteem, and this is something I had to learn for myself too. Everything I'm talking about, it's uh, things I've had to learn in my own journey of healing and Mm -hmm. implement in my own life. I I tell my clients self-esteem comes from within. If we want to raise our children's self-esteem, we need to understand that we need to raise them in their self-awareness. I always say that to my husband. I always like, 
I don't know, point to his like chest and be like, the only place you'll ever find happiness is right here <laughs> in your heart. <laughs> yes, that's where you find everything. Your sadness, your happiness, your joy, your grief, your pain, right? Yeah. Everything. And and that self-awareness is our superpower. Does it make life easier? No. Does it make you feel happy all the time? Gosh, no, right? Does it make you feel more empowered? Does it make you feel more centered and anchored into yourself? Yes. So when children are firmly planted in who they are, when they, you know, when we give them space to be who and how they are and model a healthier concept of self for them, then naturally they're going to, you know, they're going to esteem themselves, right? And they're, I guess the greatest esteem they're going to have is for themselves. But if they don't have a sense of self, if they don't have a sense of inner connectivity, how can they esteem themselves? It's not possible. It doesn't happen through words. You know, parents often throw words at their children thinking that lecturing them is actually how they're going to raise them in the best way possible. And it's like, no, I've had clients who've had um, incredibly well-meaning parents and um, who've done their best. And they still end up having a lot of issues as adults, right? Mm. Not saying that we can ever avoid that because as human beings, again, this is all part of our journey, being human. But um, I think the greatest esteem is, you know, for children um, is something that they need to have for themselves. You know, we teach them that their esteem depends on whether a friend or a boyfriend likes them or if some teacher validates them or if the number on a scale tells them that they are worthy, that their sense of inner self will constantly, you know, fluctuate depending on these external markers. And um, this is a disservice that we do to our children, I think. And to raise that self-esteem, I think we need to children celebrate who they are we need to celebrate them for who they are it doesn't matter if they're feeling sad angry grumpy lonely anxious joyful energetic you can sit with your child and just really hold space for that and actually um really support them in understanding what it is that they're feeling i can see that you're angry right now yeah i can see you're really happy right now i can see you're really grumpy right now i can see you know, and then also normalizing that. Yep, I would be feeling that too if I wasn't getting what I wanted or if I didn't, you know, if I had to do my homework. And that's, I think it's something we can forget is that it's actually really hard to be a child. It's hard to have, Sorry. <laughs> yes. you know, like, I don't know, for the younger children, you're having someone tell you what to eat, when you eat when you get dressed when you take a shower when you're you know there's so little control or I don't know it's just I feel like it would it's really hard to be a child in many ways very very hard and look this is not at all encouraging parents to be dismissive or no um let go and just let children do whatever they want to do no it's it's really about um loving discipline right? Mm. Loving discipline through presence, through self-awareness, 
through body awareness, through um, doing their own work as children, sorry, as parents, and um, learning how to self-regulate, you know? And these are the things that eventually um, also help us accept what's happening because acceptance requires being present and engaging with whatever situation presents itself. So when your child is struggling, you're not adding fuel to that fire, right? You can help them to feel safe despite that struggle. And I love this whole can, uh, conscious parenting approach because it's rooted in a combination of Eastern style philosophy and Western style psychology. Yeah. So kind of bringing together meditation and self-reflection in some ways, I guess. <laughs> um, and to put it simply, it asks that instead of striving to fix your child, you look inward at yourself. What is my child triggering inside of me? Yeah. This, so this is reminding me of um I think you're referring to the work of are you referring her name's Shafali Sabo, I think? Yes, that's right. Yeah. Shafali has written some books on this and I think she does brilliant work on it. I haven't read her books, but I've seen some of her videos and yeah, um, I, I saw her do a talk on the concept of a trigger and how for too long we've you know thought triggers are outside of us and you know this is this is triggering me, that's triggering me. It's actually very incorrect. The trigger is inside of you. You know, the yeah. external event is just a match for what's happening inside of you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's I love right. I love her book, The Parenting Map. I would recommend that to any um, parent yes. out there. I really, I think she's wonderful, um, and she's really brought this concept of conscious parenting, you know, to the West. And I guess I'd like to add to that the conscious reparenting for the parents because mm -hmm. yeah, I think that's that's very important you have to reparent yourself because you probably are parenting the way you were parented or the exact opposite way which doesn't help which is yeah, just reactive that's right or or the exact opposite way which is being overly enmeshed with your child not allowing them to develop their own sense of self, not having healthy boundaries. And it's not easy to get that balance right, but I think everything starts with self-awareness, right? Um, and I I can, again, appreciate how hard it is. I, I've seen it in family members too, that real internal battle with seeing your child struggle um, with, you know, different challenges whether it's health challenges or challenges at school whatever it is mental health challenges and I always say instead of maybe you know asking or saying or thinking why is this happening to me shifting that into you know because sometimes people think I'm doing everything right I'm a good person I'm a good parent uh, you know why is this happening to my child? Why is this happening to me? And I, I'd like to say that, um, you know, first of all, bad things happen because bad things happen. Yes. <laughs> and shifting, you know, this into the question of why not me? 
because I find that to be very empowering. Oh, I like that. Why not me? So that's a shift into saying, because, you know, we, we've had some real um, challenges in my family around um, certain things that have happened. And um, I guess without asking for permission of, of that family member, I'm not comfortable to necessarily go into details about it, but some really, really painful traumatic things have happened, and especially around children with um, some of the children. And so what I encourage always is when there is, you know, these things come up in life, ask yourself, why not me? I'm only human like the rest of humanity. There's a lot of suffering in this human race, right? And it really turns on its head, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think people suffer in big, big ways. I don't think I have it the hardest. I think we all suffer. And unfortunately, some people suffer more than others, right? More times. But this question, you know, why me implies that some of us need to be excused from that, that some of us don't deserve that. And what I'm saying is that this question of why not me is an invitation into humanity, an invitation into understanding that we all have the capacity for suffering. We all have pain in our lives. And why not me kind of shifts us into an understanding um, that I guess out of this paradigm of it couldn't happen to me or shouldn't happen to me or I don't deserve that you know, which is very much that victim consciousness. And it's also a mystical question that I think connects us with the mystical aspect of life. There's this really, you know, I'm just thinking of a Buddhist story um, that's, you know, where a woman who lost her firstborn child was stricken with a lot of grief and she was taken to the Buddha to be, um, you know, for relief of her suffering. And she said, I just want this suffering to end. Why would I have this suffering? And the Buddha told this woman, I would like you to go visit every home in the village and bring me back mustard seeds from any home where they haven't experienced loss or death, or pain, or death of a lot, sorry, or challenges of any kind. And so she went to all these homes and came back empty, empty-handed with no mustard seeds, because there was not a home in the village that hadn't experienced this kind of, some kind of, right, loss. Not the same loss, but a loss. Yeah. And it was a humbling moment for her. And the Buddha told her, if you only expect happiness, you will suffer more. And I think that really is at the crux of this. Why me shifting to why not me? Right? Why not me? Yep. It could happen to me and it's happened to me. Okay, why not me? Um, and, and I think that's the beginning of, you know, that feeling of agency. That, you yeah. know what? I've got this. Feels more empowering. Very much. If, if, even if you say that, if even if you just close your eyes, you know, if you've got any kind of challenge or suffering in your life right now, and you just tell yourself right now in this moment, why not me? 
there's almost like an expansion, almost like a, I don't know for you, but for me, I feel like something just feels lighter in my body. It does. It's almost like a relief comes over me. Like, yeah, why not me? You know? And it just is something that also allows us, you know, I, I just recently finished running um, an online um, uh, workshop on the nervous system, bringing joy to your nervous system. It was for a couple of weeks that I was doing that because I've got clients all over the country. And we were talking about how to make space for joy in this journey of suffering and how to bring joy to your nervous system despite what's happening in your life. And I think why not me is such a good question to ask yourself first and foremost, because it just gives you that sense of power, you know? I love, I just, I love that question. Why not me? It just, as I said, well, I think it just flips it on its head. Turns it from, um, yeah, it just You're takes more of an agent that, rather than it takes you out of that victim mentality, yeah, right? Victim. Which is very disempowering. It just doesn't. Um, there's no room in agency when we think uh, that way. You know that victim consciousness, and and again, by no means dismissing that there are people who are victims in this world, and mm. horrible things do happen, and we do become victimized. Not dismissing that, but we're not talking about that, mm. right? So, yeah, I think, why not me? Why not my child? And then from that, from that question, you can actually move forward. Mm-hmm. What can I do to support this situation? What can I do to support my child? What can I do to support myself? Not fix, not get rid of, but to support. How can I support what's showing up here? How can I support what's happening here? Whether it's uh, something that's momentary, like a reaction, or something that's actually, you know, an actual situation that's long-term. How can I support this? Something I want to loop back to, I think, when you're talking about support, not fix, not get rid of. Something you said much earlier in the episode, which I think is really important, um, is this idea of focusing on the child and who they are rather than on fixing the symptoms? Mm. Can you talk just a little bit more about that point? Because I think when we focus on fixing the symptoms, for me as a child, there was a huge focus on fixing the symptoms and it got to the point where I pretended I was better. You know, there's that you know, people pleasing, caring about my mom because my mom was so upset about my symptoms that I pretended they weren't there just so she would not be upset anymore. Yeah, so, I can resonate with that. Yeah. Can yeah. we talk a little bit about why it's so important to not focus on fixing the symptoms? Yeah, absolutely. Look, um, children want to be seen. Yeah, just like adults, they want to be seen, they want to be validated, they want to be um, loved, um, and they want to feel safe, 
just like adults do. We all want that. It's it's a human thing, right? It's a human need. And when you're focusing on what's wrong, you're basically putting that person straight away into um, somehow feeling inadequate or that feeling of something's wrong with me. And you're taking away that feeling of safety. Mm-hmm. You are different. Something is wrong with you, right? And I'm not saying that you avoid getting professional help and support. No, I'm just saying instead of focusing on the symptoms, talking about the symptoms, trying to fix the symptoms, going from the one doctor to another doctor about the symptoms, focus on who the child is, what the child likes, how the child feels, right? And sometimes that can be really hard to do. So using things like... um, you know, I use five uh, feelings cards, five feelings cards, um, which helps children pick the feeling that they resonate with. Feeling charts are also good. Um, so children can draw the face that goes with the feeling. Sometimes other emotions may need to be added to some of the basic list of emotions, such as, you know, um, angry, sleepy, sick, surprised, silly, embarrassed, whatever, um, helpless feelings. And I also support children. I have done so in the past um, through visualization, which is another great way of supporting the child, strengthen those neural pathways in the brain around the state that they actually want to experience, um, to use their imagination to overcome certain fears or certain, um, yeah, certain, I guess, beliefs that are starting to develop for the child. So um, through play, through different tools, some of the ones I've mentioned, but also things like, um, gosh, um, I'm trying to think of other, other, yeah, resources. I think play is a really good one. Um, it can be like a diagnostic tool. Um, I spend time playing with that child, you know, because you – you can observe a great deal about the child's maturity, intelligence, imagination, creativity, you know, um, reality orientation, attention span, problem solving abilities, everything um, through just playing with them and being observant. Because often when adults are playing with children, they can't wait to stop playing with them. You know, they kind of like, oh, I've had enough. I want to go and do my own thing which is fair enough, we all need our own time. But when you do play, be present and focus on the play and be observant. Yeah, I think they I think they use play as an important form of therapy for families, don't they? Because play is a really great place for children to have some control of their mm, space yeah. and their life. Yeah, absolutely. Like I've even had the child come into the session or, um, you know, because with children, you can't have longer therapeutic sessions. It's very mm-hmm. short sessions. It's with teenagers, you can. But I just kind of let them be the therapist. Mm. Kind of let them be the therapist and I get to be the so-called client, right? And I start drawing and I start talking about something that's 
you know, that's happened for me, like whether it's drawing um, uh, uh, an animal and um, what, you know, how much I love that animal and what happened when that animal died or, you know, depending, obviously these are all depending on the child's age. But giving that child agency is really a good way of um, connecting with them. And also important to realize that children can sometimes also use play to avoid expressing their feelings and thoughts. So they can dissociate from their feelings and emotions just like adults do. And especially when you see, um, I know with my sister's children, there's a lot of you know iPad and being behind the um, technology and so on. They, um, yeah, they can actually dissociate. And um, one thing that's really good with that is to maybe bring in other kind of toys or material that the child can um, explore with. So maybe um, materials that they don't always have a lot of, um, uh, they're not often subjected to like clay or paints and things that they only get to play with at school but not at home. Yeah, I right? think the the iPad is a point that I feel particularly passionate about because I know I have a lot of parents who say, oh, the screens help my child regulate themselves, you know, but I think it's actually the opposite. The screen's often a way of dissociating for the child. They're not actually regulating, they're dissociating. Yes, it's, it's dissociation. Look, yeah. um, in small doses, it's fine, but it's when it becomes a constant thing that as the child gets older, they have a lot more difficulty knowing what they feel. And I see this in, in adults, you know, who've been raised that way, where they've kind of been always sitting in front of a TV or having to do something or distracted with something. Um, they just don't really have a lot of body awareness and very disconnected to their frame and their emotions. Mm. There's a lot of operating from logic and bypassing that heart energy or heart space. And I lived that way for a very long time. Yeah, yeah, I think most of us have, you know. And um, again, there are no ideal ways of dealing with um, with these issues. I think what what's really important is to just have compassion for yourself, have compassion for what you're going through, what your child is going through, and don't focus on fixing. Yeah. Focus on understanding. Focus think, on, you know, being present and understanding. That's the most important thing. I think the core essence is still the same, whether it's a child or an adult. At the end of the day, we're trying to create safety in the nervous system. Yes. And it like, doesn't matter who that is. And it's when there's safety in the nervous system is when the symptoms feel free to leave. Yes. Yes. And for me, I remember as a child, I was so tuned into my mother's nervous system. It was incredible. Me too. Me too. Oh, tuned in. It was almost like I was one with my mother. Like there was no, you know, me and then her. It was like I, I just wanted to protect her. I wanted to make sure that I was good for her well-being. I, you know, my, my entire focus and attention was on 
her and making sure she's okay and making sure that I would be whatever she wanted me to be so that she could be okay. Mm. That's exhausting. That's it so is. exhausting. I mean, I, I just imagine a little child constantly on edge, walking, a, you know, tiptoeing around, trying to protect the parent. Because, you know, Gabor Mate says it too. If we had to choose between being authentic and belonging we always choose belonging belonging it's that survival yeah we betray ourselves to belong yeah right but that comes with a price a very high price and you know that's how nervous system gets continues to be chronically dysregulated health issues continues to you know develop and arise so learning about boundaries is so important learning about boundaries in a way that doesn't disconnect you from being able to be present and hold space and be with your difficult feelings as well as your child's difficult feelings. And that's a practice. It's a constant practice. You know, I'm still, I'm always practicing, right? I'm in this journey with everybody else. Mm -hmm. I think it's, it's really about just being willing to practice, not reaching perfection. Mm. Totally agree. Okay, I think that's a really good place to start wrapping up because we've just gone over the hour mark now. Um, so I asked you this question last time, but maybe it'll be different in relation to this topic. Um, where are my closing questions? Okay, so do you have a top three kind of recommendations for listeners in terms of healing resources? Um, I think one that we mentioned, um, which is great for parents, is Dr. Shafali's work. Mm -hmm. I think she is good to look into. She does some great videos. Again, not everybody's cup of tea. You know, some people um, may not necessarily um, like her approach, and that's completely okay. Um, if you don't like her videos, maybe refer to her books. If she's not for you, then it's also good to look into someone like Abor Mate. He's yeah. also very good when it comes to just that awareness of self and, and one's triggers. Um, other things that I recommend is not necessarily to just consume information constantly because I don't want to just give you recommendations that are um, focused on gathering information. I mm -hmm. think it's important to implement what you learn more than anything. So starting with body awareness, you know, becoming aware of your breath, becoming aware of your own body. I offer some free uh, meditations and somatic um, exercises on Insight Timer app. So if you just search my name in the Insight Timer app, that will pop up. If you don't like the sound of my voice or what I am guiding you to do, there's plenty, if not thousands and thousands of other teachers on there. I who, love Inside Timer. Yeah, and it's such a great app that you can use um, to help, um, I guess, guide you through some somatic exercises, somatic meditations. Guided meditations are great too. They're good relaxation exercises, but I prefer somatic exercises because I think it's good for you to be very um, you know, 
present with your body and with your symptoms and with your sensations and not necessarily drift off into um, sleep or shut off your mind as such. Even if you want to do those things, that's fine. It's just more incorporating somatic um, body work. Yeah, I love, I love a body scan practice when I meditate. Yeah, because if you can be with the intensity of the different sensations in your body and breathe through that, that's the first step to making space for the intensity of different emotions um, that come up for you as well as your child. And then the, the other thing that I really recommend, and I always say this, is find a good therapist and stick with the work. See them regularly, even if they challenge you, even if it gets difficult. Um, find someone that you feel comfortable and safe with and just, you know, really work with them to um, process some of your own stuff around what your child is going through. Yeah, I've just gone back to therapy myself, so... There you go. Had some things coming up. <laughs> yeah, it's, just, it's a great way to, you know, to just have someone be completely there for you, right? And the more you can tap into that sense of compassion and love for yourself, the more you're able to do that for your child, mm-hmm. you know? And I did give some practical, um, I guess, tools in the beginning um, of our chat around what parents can do practically to help children build that mind-body connection. Because a lot of the symptoms um, that, you know, children and adults experience is rarely to a structural issue as such, right? Mm-hmm. We know that, that um, a lot of it is due to just, uh, I guess, the brain's yeah. natural um approach to avoiding pain right mm-hmm. yeah. Um, yeah there's a lot of most chronic pain and chronic symptoms um, have little to do with you know damaged tissues or untreated infections and of course always check with your gp and doctor make sure you get those um, cleared by them but usually, if not uh, commonly, most common, they're they're maintained by complex mind-body interactions. Yeah, and hopefully if people are listening, they're well aware of that by now. Yeah, yeah, that's fine. Okay, so lucky last um, piece of parting advice. So any last thing you want to say to wrap us up? <laughs> um, okay, so I guess... Yes, I, I, I have one that I do quite a bit myself, which I find to be um, incredibly, you know, helpful in my own life. And that's to spend time in nature. Oh, yes. In nature and even bring your child with you and spend time in nature together, present. Um, use the different things that you can find in nature, in the natural world around you to to create you know, create a mandala using sticks and rocks and leaves. And, you know, um, you can bring your attention to the tiny little details that, um, you know, are in a flower or an insect or, you know, whatever you can find, a rock, and you just support your child to become more aware 
and present to everything they see in nature. They usually normally are, especially, you know, when they're younger. But just in general, spending time in nature really supports regulating our nervous system. It just does it immediately. Something about just breathing in that fresh air as well. Just like, yes, I feel like yes. you can breathe easier when you're out there. Yeah, exactly. It's it's just so good for us. There's a lot of yin energy. Um, and, you know, when we live in such a yang orientated world, we need to balance out with a lot of yin exercises and, you know, um, yeah, just yin energy in general. Well, perfect. Thank you so much, Sarah. I've had so much fun talking to you again. You are so knowledgeable. I love chatting with you. Thank you so much, Felicia. I hope, you know, whatever I had to say has been helpful for people out there. Um, you know, again, I'm not an expert in anything. I'm just using um, the wisdom that I've gained in my own experience in this work to hopefully help others. Well, thank you. I'm sure it's going to be really helpful for lots of people. I'm just going to stop the recording now. Mm -hmm.